Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to a Monday Memorial Day weekend edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. We had part one of Ask Billy on Friday's episode, and today we feature part two. So let's get right to it as we pick up Bill Meltzer and I's conversation midway through with the second half of questions and Ask Billy right here on Flyers Daily. And I'm, I'm actually I'm anticipating a very active offseason, not only yeah. for uh, the Flyers. I'm, I'm anticipating around the NHL. I think there's pent-up movement that d- hasn't taken place. Teams didn't reset their rosters last year in the way they usually do in an NHL offseason just because of the expansion draft, the flat cap, and everything that was going on. I think this will be uh, kind of where, like, the, the, you know, everything kind of explodes in this offseason not not necessarily doubling the amount of action that would be normal, but there's going to be more movement, I think, this offseason uh, than we've seen in a long time. Anthony uh, Giampaolo tweets in and he says, dreaming here, but if Connor McDavid really wanted out of Edmonton, could the Philly be a favored destination? Care to dream up what that package would look like? He said, I'd rather package for Nurse, but just wondering uh, both your takes. First of all, Nurse played 15, 15 plus minutes in one of the overtimes. Yeah. Which is insane. Yes. Um, he had a four-and-a-half-minute shift at one point. But anyway, um, they're not going to get rid of Nurse. They need to keep D. But McDavid to the Flyers. <laughs> I can't even imagine what a package would look like. I was going to say. I mean, that's, uh, you know. Bryce Harper, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Ben Simmons, right. Joel Embiid, right. uh, Sean Couturier. <laughs> I mean, you got to throw so much out there. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> Flyers landed Eric Lindros's rights, and uh, yeah. you know, nobody makes those kind of trades anymore. But but let, let's in some crazy universe, if, if Connor McDavid was out there, you know, and he, obviously he can't trade all that cash anymore either. But you know, just uh, you know, think think something along the lines of you know, uh, <laughs> Herschel uh, Walker trade, right? <laughs> Herschel Walker, Eric Lindros kind of trade. I mean, it, yeah. it would take something along those lines if he were available. You'd be competing against virtually every team in the NHL, they, they'd be finding the space to add. I mean, it would be nuts. It would be, you know, truly riveting, but uh, I, I can't imagine a scenario where that would be realistic or you could even, you could even dream well, of give, that. And yes. I'll give <laughs> so. you five players that would absolutely be a part of the deal. One would be Carter Hart. Yep. Uh, one would be Joel Farabee. Yep. Uh, one would probably be Ivan Provorov. Yep. Um, and I don't know about Couturier because he's got only one year left on his deal, but that could possibly be a part of it. And then probably another player like, Travis Konechny, a couple of picks, and um, a few prospects to boot. <laughs> yeah, Cam York's probably in there somewhere yeah, too. It's certainly. yeah, I mean you're, you're you're just emptying the cupboard to, to bring in the one, you know. Anything you so, value would be out the door. That would be uh, <laughs> uh, Isaiah from the uh, OMB podcast uh, tweets in and says, "Every year it seems as if third line center is a question mark for the Flyers. Do you think Chuck Fletcher will actively pursue pursue a solution outside the organization?" Um, I. I don't necessarily think he's going to go outside the organization for this. I think it, depending what happens, like we talked about with Nolan Patrick, uh, Frost, I think they still want to use him in the center position, right, Bill? It, it see, that seems to be the preference. Um, you know, they took a look at him at wing and a little bit in camp, and he even played a shift or two at wing in, in uh, I think, his first of the two games before he got hurt. Um, so, I mean, it, it's not off the table that, that he'd play wing. But I, I think they prefer him at center just for his playmaking ability. And, and you know, you handle the puck more. And he's a guy who, you know, certainly, certainly needs to handle the puck a lot to, to be successful. So, um, I mean, I, is, it, is it impossible that if they, you know, if they move, say, they, say Frost as part of a package for a, a top-pairing defenseman, 
you know, that they would go out and bring in a, a veteran third line center. Uh, not, not impossible. They also, they also think that, you know, that uh, Scott Lawton can play that role if they need to. Um, you know, they've, they've moved Giroux from wing back to center, although defensively he's not, you know, he, he gets in some mismatches at this point in his, his career defensively at center. Um, so is it possible? Yeah, but I, I think that they, you know, I think that they're looking at, at, at other other places in the lineup. Um, you know, a bounce back year from Kevin Hayes would certainly help. Uh, a typical year from Couturier, um, you know, regardless of his contract situation, you know, then then the, the hole in the third line doesn't doesn't appear as glaring. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, certainly would help. It's something they've looked at, you know, a couple of times. Um, uh, they, they tried to bring in Stassi a couple of years ago, for example. And that's, uh, you know, they, they've, they've looked at the ability to, uh, to fill that third line center role. But again, you, you can only allocate so many cap dollars to certain positions, positions in the lineup. You look at the, you know, the raise that Couture undoubtedly would, would be due. Um, they pay a lot of money to Hayes. And if you, you tie that into your top three centers, plus, you know, plus if Lawton is your fourth line center at uh, 3 million a year for five years, you know, then it really it hamstrings your ability to fill some other needs. So I, I think that they would try to, they hope that can be filled from within. Uh, if not, then, you know, maybe you, maybe you look to rent a guy later in the season and that, yeah. that, that might be the way they go. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Let's go to uh, Andrew Beckoff. He says, why are the Flyers remaining status quo with their assisting coaches? The defense and special teams have a long way to go to get to average. Um, so that's been one of the things that we've kind of seen on social media, Bill. Uh, there's no changes to the coaching staff other than to uh, the Phantoms with Scott Gordon and Kerry Huffman moving on. And we'll, we'll see if uh, who the next coach is going to be of the Phantoms. But when you look at it and, and the assistant coaches remaining, you know, Mike Yo, who handles uh, the PK, and uh, Michelle Tarian, who handles the power play, neither had a, a good season. Um, why are the Flyers remaining status quo? Well, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, PK and Team D first. Um, you know, I, I think that you have to look at what the team did the year before. Because to go from right, at the, right near the bottom – and goals against average, and, and I think it was 26th in penalty kill. Um, you know, they went they went up to number seven, and they were actually uh, number seven in goals against average, number 11 in penalty kill, and they were also they were top 10 most of the season. They had a they had a rough game in the latter part where they gave up three power play goals and knocked them out of the out of the top 10. But you know, but they were they were right in the border of that top one third of the league. You know, the the impact of losing uh, of losing Matt Niskanen. You know, that, that's a piece of it, too. So I, I almost think that, you know, how much they improved in 2019-20 in, uh, really bought another year for, for Mike Yo. If it's, if it's another year, anything like anything like it was this past year, they would make a change. But I think, you know, I think they, they kind of balanced the two. They improved by a big degree year one. They regressed back to where they were the year before that to a large degree. So that's why they're sticking with Yo. Um with Terrian and the, the penalty kill really is kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of been that same way for a while now. Uh, you know, they, they brought in the, the, you know, the young hotshot coach with the new ideas, you know, when they brought in Knobloch, it was the same thing. Yep. You know, it was the same thing. They were really inconsistent on, on the power play. Uh, last year they were, 
you know, they're, I think 14th on the power play, right in the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. You know, not not great, not awful. Uh, they, I think they were over 20%. You know, that, that really 20% that used to be a successful power play. It's not anymore. Now it's almost 24, 25% or sometimes even higher than that is will get you towards the higher end of the league. So, you know, they still have some things to figure out on the power play. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to that uh, Elaine Vigneault and, and Tarion are comfortable working together. You know, there, there's a relationship that goes way back with those two guys. Um, if, if the Flyers are sub 20% another year, you know, um, you know, then, then you may be looking at a change again. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that they are trying to not overreact to a, a shortened season coming off of a season of improvement where they took steps backwards and uh, taking a wait and see approach to, to what happens, you know, over the next season. But I, I think that uh, I think that another year of that, you would see, you know, maybe, maybe even a head coaching change too. Yeah. But I, I think that, it, you know, another year without a bounce back, then, then you might get some of these changes. But I, I think it's just a question of trying not to overreact. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, some of the some of the, the lapses we saw, and I've kind of tried to explain this on episodes and, and how I feel about it. You know, I'll, I'll, people go, you know, they gave up so many goals. The defensive zone coverage was so bad. I go, yeah, but they weren't coaching five guys to flood one side of the ice, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. And, they, you know, they were pointing these things out in video, and they were holding players accountable with scratches and ice time limitations because of these things. But when you're not practicing, and it, it is a reality of the situation, it does play a part in it, and that, that you have to consider every element. I know some people look at that as excuse-making, but I call them realities in a lot of them. Still no excuse for what took place this year. Um, Bill, let me ask you this one because uh, this is an interesting question uh, from BSL. Michael tweets in and he says, do the Flyers have enough high-end assets to land someone like Seth Jones if he becomes available? Now, Seth Jones is probably going to notify Columbus this offseason of his intention to sign or not sign. And if he doesn't sign this offseason, he's now, you know, once uh, June 30th, he's available to, to be extended. Columbus cannot go into another season with a player of this magnitude hanging over their head that he could walk and they get nothing in return. That's happened too many times there. John Davidson's returned as the president and alternate governor there with the Columbus Blue Jackets after being uh, fired by the New York Rangers. Uh, Seth Jones, I, I, my gut feeling is that he's going to inform them he's, he's not going to resign there and he is going to um, be traded. Flyers will absolutely be on that phone. Uh, but what is the, the cost per acquisition is the way I've been terming it. It's going to be significant, and you have to extend them to a contract as well. Correct. Yeah, and, and they're probably, you know, they're not going to let them talk. To the, you know, Columbus would not like the Flyers or any other team talk to Jones's agent before him, but there are ways around that. You you know who you're going to be able to sign and, and who you're not. So there, you know, there, there are channels you can you can find out without outright tampering, you know. You, you, uh you know, agents agents uh, have a way of communicating without, you know, without without uh, violating any rules. So the Flyers would know beforehand. Um, what would it cost them? It would cost them, you know, it would cost them a lot. Uh, I would say that connect me. Uh, I would say probably Travis Sanheim because he's already an established 20 minute night defenseman, has another level to his game. You know, and I mean, that would be some guy, obviously, the Flyers would have to replace in the lineup. But you're talking about a, a mid-20s defenseman, uh, still restricted. So he still has still has time where they could extend him in, in Columbus. Um, you know, big, mobile defenseman, don't grow on trees. 
um, you know, connect these guys who's been an all-star. So there, there are two NHL roster pieces. And it would certainly cost you at least one, possibly two first round picks. And that's, that's a very steep cost. Yeah. You and know, for a, guy, a brink. Yeah. For, yeah. Or yeah, uh, exactly. A, a brink type, but a guy, a guy yeah. And you're getting a guy who's a year from walking who they lose for nothing. So that, that also hurts their ability to trade him just a little bit. Um, yeah. One of the things that you'd be also be getting though is you'd be getting some salary cap flexibility this year, not not beyond but for this year. Yep. Just because you know, Seth Jones is underpaid on his current contract. Yeah, and he would be under that in year one here. In year one, year one. Yep. So you have you have one year where you could try to put some other pieces around it, you know, and you're not you're not paying through the nose cap wise. You know, then obviously you know year year two, three, four beyond, you're that, that's a different story. But I think that that's what you're looking at. You're looking at two NHL pieces. You know, uh, a couple of couple of high end draft picks, probably two first round picks, and maybe a prospect on top of it. I mean, Flyers Flyers can compete in that regard with what other teams can offer. So, you know, I, I think I think it's a possible destination. I don't know. I don't know how much the fact that you know his he'd be reunited in the same city as his dad. I know they have a good relationship. I know he's an assistant coach for the Sixers. I don't think that's going to be Seth Jones's deciding factor, but it can't hurt either. You yeah, know? exactly. So. I mean, the other thing, the other part of this too, and I, I've talked about this. When Chuck Fletcher looks to solve his top pair right shot, right side defender, he'd rather solve this problem for seven years yeah. than you would for two or three. You know, they signed Niskanen, and he had two years left on his, when they made the, the deal. Two years left on his contract. But if you can solve this problem with a young defenseman and Ivan Provorov, and have him and Seth Jones, that's the cornerstone of your franchise with a top pair. Uh, for seven years then then you you do that <laughs> you solve that problem because when you don't have that problem the other problems are a lot easier to solve At, from a hockey stand not necessarily a financial standpoint because you you're committing significant cap dollars but when you can check that box it's like having a quarterback in football if you don't have it you're looking for it when you have it now you can put the other pieces around it and you need the top pair that to as strong as those two would be together it would be tremendous yeah, for sure i mean you know when the flyers signed uh, Shea Weber to the offer sheet, you know, and they, they lost Chris Pronger. The, uh, the, the kind of impact that, that they would have gotten uh, out of Weber. And I know, you know, for a, a few years there, obviously nobody discusses this anymore, but for a few years there, you know, there were, there were uh, Shea Weber versus uh, PK Subban discussions yeah. all the time. And because Subban always had all the analytics, Yep. You know, uh, the analytics people really went heavy and, oh, well, Subban is a much better player. Nobody says that now because Subban has really struggled for the last few years. But, you know, sometimes a player's impact goes beyond just what, what his numbers are, whether they're primary numbers or, or the you know, just, just the way the number of minutes he can eat. So you have to, you know, you have to play your lesser players. You know, you can spot them better. You can play them fewer minutes. Yeah. Provorov would have a guy who can think the game on the same level that he thinks it at. You know, and um, I mean, that, that would be, that would be a huge impact too, um, you know. Uh, just, I mean, size, speed, right-handed shot, offensive contributions. You know, the, the Flyers would have a bona fide top pair of two guys that can, you know, in a playoff game, can get you thirty minutes if you yeah. need them to do that. Actually, Provorov, and it's a World Championships. You know, they just had a they had a regulation win. Russia did the other day where he played thirty-six minutes regulation. That's insane. Uh, which I mean, as a Flyers fan, you're not happy about that. That's way yeah, too many. Fletcher's minutes. calling that coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it just just shows you what you know what a, a freakishly conditioned athlete that he is. Yeah, machine. That, uh, you know, I mean, it would be it would be a, a very uh, advantageous situation a lot of teams would envy the flyers top pairing if you have that 
And then you're, you know, and then, and then if you have a, a decent second pair, not that your third pair doesn't matter because they'll still get exposed. And, you know, it, it seems like whatever the weakest point in your team is gets exposed in a playoff series. Um, you know, when the Flyers had, had a, a third pairing of uh, was it O'Donnell and Mazaros, right? Third pairing, but it was actually a really damn good third pairing because mm-hmm. of their usage. Yeah. You know, they were put in situations where they could succeed. You know, I, I think I think the blue line as a whole would look a lot better with a guy that can play with Pro Rock 25 minutes a night or more. So I, I think that, it, you know, it, w- it would make a huge impact beyond just what the numbers would look like. Would you be more in favor of them pursuing a Seth Jones if he was available via trade and extension or Dougie Hamilton in free agency if he is, is to make it there? Well, Hamilton's another guy who would come in and, you know, would, would make a huge impact. Yeah. Um, you know, he can kind of, he can kind of set his destination. Um, I, I, I know that, you know, I mean, you, you hear different things. I still think he ultimately ends up back with Carolina. They're, they're a team that can win a cup. You know, um, I, I think Hamilton ends up staying, staying put. If you can add him, I mean, that, that's something else that you, you know, you kick that tire to this off season because, yeah. you know, because other teams would be in on, on Jones and other teams would be in on Hamilton. You don't, you don't limit yourself to, to one player. There's two different, you know, if you, if you can get the big free agent, you do it in your, you know, then you have all your, your trade pieces. Yeah, just no too. cost per acquisition. Right. So, you know, so, I mean, there's, you know, I, I think, I think you look at both scenarios. I, I don't think you're doing your due diligence if you don't look at either possibility. And also, you know, and if a guy like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lesser trade for an Eckholm uh, or, you know, if, if Ryan Ellis or Ellis, I mean, you look at those possibilities too, whatever, whatever you can do to solidify your top pair and you look at different ways of doing it and just based upon what you're able to do, that's how you look at what you're able to fill the other holes in the lineup with the cap dollars that you have left or what cap space you might be able to create and move out, you know, to be able to fill another need, even if, even if it's just looking at a short-term kind of thing, because, you know, while everybody, while everybody does try to think long-term, it's a very much in a you know, large extent, things change year to year so much in the league, you know, and while you're, while you're planning for your, you know, <laughs> for your big run in two years, a lot's going to happen between now and two years and guys get hurt and, you know, guys step up and, you know, uh, the, the picture changes uh, year to year, even, even, you know, half season, to half season. So I, I think that you have to try to put the best team, on the ice to start the season that you can and uh you know and, and you adjust accordingly and you try to leave yourself enough cap space to do so um you know uh, the flyers do have a little bit of cap space but i think that moving out moving moving out some pieces and creating cap space because that's that's one you know one of the biggest assets if not the biggest asset in the game today yep uh, it, it's why you know it's why cap space and, and draft picks sometimes are worth more than established players on the yeah. trade market so that that's a piece of it too yeah it's cost uh it's cost efficient for teams in, in a flat cap world as well and i think the other part with the new tv deals coming in the 32nd franchise in seattle coming uh they're going to start to get the kind of a a bigger picture of when this cap does you know start to go up again the escalation of the cap having that that information of the new tv deal and all of those elements as well, and, and how that will affect it. Uh, Ray Diggs tweets in, and he says, with the lack of consistent competitive hockey over the last 15 months for prospects, is management more willing to part with picks in hopes of solidifying the core? He said, I wonder how much evaluations or lack thereof will affect decisions, or will there be more guesswork than normal? Something we talked about uh, prior, Bill, because 
eyes on in building for a, a lot of the scouts has not been uh, an option. And obviously the OHL didn't play this year. Yeah. So there's a lot of players that, you know, r- really are missing out on the opportunity to up their draft status and, and what's a very important year for them heading into being a draft eligible player. So does that make it more likely that some moves get made uh, with those types of picks? I, I think that it partially depends on, you know, what the uh, Flyers scouts comfort level is with, uh, you know, and also we'll see, we'll see where they pick in the, you know, how the lottery shakes out. They only have, I think about a one, 1. and one point one point eight. I was going to say 1.5. Yeah. 1.8% chance of, you know, a winning the lottery. So they're, they're probably, you know, they're probably picking in the mid teens. Um, what if they get like to number three though, all of a sudden right. now, now your first round picks got even more value in a trade. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. For sure it does. And they would, they would certainly look at that, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's an interesting draft too, because it's not a year where, you know, you can easily peg, okay, th- these are your top five guys and they're going to go in, a, in roughly that order. You know, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of change in there or, or your top 10. I mean, some, somebody's top, this is, this is one of those years, even, even apart from, you know, even apart from how uh, disjointed the season was or non-existent in, in some cases, this is a year where some teams sixth guy on the list might be 22nd for somebody else. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's just one of those years where it's a little bit, a little bit hard to peg just because it's, you know, it, it's a little bit shallow in terms of the real top end guys. And it was also a little shallow in terms of overall depth. So, you know, that, but that, that's as it looks right now. Right. Then, you know, then you have, then you have your years where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden your fifth round pick becomes Jamie Ben, and, you know, Oh shoot. You know, why, why, you know, yeah. why do we, you know, so I don't, I don't know, but it, it's, I, I think, I think the flyers it's on the table to, to trade out of the first round, trade down in the first round. You know, I, I think that that's, you know, that certainly is one of the ways the flyers might look at to get better. And if you, if you win the lottery, you know, then all of a sudden that pick has a, has a lot of value. Yeah, and then you got to figure out: do you, do you keep the pick or do you do you move it and right. get a, a player for now because uh, you're really pushing? Uh, Sports fan eighty two sixty nine tweets in and says, "Who's a realistic top six forward or top four D? Uh, the Flyers could and should target free, via trade or free agency." He said, "Also, would you leave Voracek or JVR unprotected in an expansion draft?" We kind of talked about the D with Dougie. I mean, the list to me is Dougie Hamilton. It's Seth Jones. It's uh, Ellis and Eckholm, maybe a Josh Manson, maybe uh, a Dumba, but I don't know that Minnesota is going to move them. Uh, but uh, a top six forward via trade, I, I don't know who's really going to be on the market just yet. I don't think we have that that intel at this point, do we? Yeah, uh, you know what? Once once we see the list as to because there are going to be surprises yeah. as to who's unprotected, and then uh, you know, then all of a sudden. You know, because there, there absolutely will be will be guys that are going to be out there for Seattle, who even if Seattle doesn't want them, maybe they take that player and flip them to another team. Yeah, and that's that's the way to go about it. So, uh, you know, I, and certainly top six caliber players. So well, it's also intel that yeah. you know a, a player that they don't mind losing. Correct. So you know, and, and if they go if they go unselected, well, there's a reason why he was wasn't protected. So it might be a player you could you know make a deal for. So when that list comes out, you know, I, I think we could have a more a more realistic discussion as to, hey, who might be a guy who might be able to help the Flyers in a, in a top six kind of a um, role. As far as his part, also, would you leave Voracek or JVR unprotected in the expansion draft? I believe they'll leave both unprotected. I, I yeah, if, if we play it out, you know, like I, I think I think they would leave both. Obviously, Shane Gossespierre would be, a, be another. 
you know, we've had some discussions back and forth on, on social media about it as to whether you offer sweeteners to Seattle to take mm-hmm. one of those guys. I don't offer any sweeteners. My, my view is, you know what? You have to build a roster. You have to get to the, to the salary cap floor. You know, if, uh, you know, you, you look at our list, you look at other teams lists and take who you're going to take. And then, then I adjust around it, but I don't, I don't part with a second round pick. It's only not a first round pick. You know, listen, if you, if you lose JVR, who actually had a pretty good year, um, you know, you're still going to have to replace him with something. Yeah. And, and if you lose, if you lose Voracek, who, you know, for, for whatever, you know, we could go back and forth about Jake because people have strong opinions on Jake one way or another. You know, he still is a point producer. He still, you know, he still was a guy who, you know, put up, put up points even when the, the rest of the team was out of the race too. So, yeah. you know, I, I, Jake has his pros and his cons. Every, every player does. But it's, um, you know, with Jake, it's really a question of how much term he has left on his deal to me more than anything else. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't protect them just because of the the term and the cap dollars. And, you know, you can only lose one. But my my view is let Seattle take who they're going to take and then you adjust. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I I put this out on on social media the other day, and I've said it before, uh, if, if I was dropped here from Mars and knew nothing about the Flyers and I asked the Flyers fan base to tell me about Jake Voracek, and they say, oh, he's played 964 games. Um, based on what they told me, I would expect to look at his stat line and see 311 career points, yeah. not 738 or whatever it is. Um, the, <laughs> there's just something about his game that a, a large portion of the fan base doesn't, doesn't value. I know he's not a goal scorer, and we don't value playmakers like we value goal scorers right. a lot of times. I mean, I, I look at it and say a lot of times the playmaker is more responsible for the goal than the actual scorer um, because of the creativity and setting it up is, is a huge part of it. Uh, but I, I just don't, I don't understand the lack of value that fans see in him. I mean, he turns the puck over. He's got some risk tendencies offensively because he's creative, but he doesn't lead the league in turnovers like you would think. No. You know, I mean, no. they're, they're about on par with, you know, offensive playmakers. Correct. Yeah. If you go, you go year to year, he's, you know, for guys who handle the puck as much as he does, he's right about on average, which is more than the league average, is because he's, you know, he's taking he's taking some chances offensively. And listen, I, I thought twenty, uh, I thought that uh, a year ago, right, 2019-20, I, I even thought Voracek had one of, if not his best two way season in yeah. the NHL. Uh, this year was not his best two way season. I, I, I don't think you can, I don't think you can argue that in any way, shape, or form. On the flip side, I thought JVR had a good two-way season, and I thought JVR, you know, really was winning a lot of little battles. He was he was really passing the puck well. You know, he he started out like gangbusters goal scoring wise, and the goals dried up, but he was still still you know setting up plays. And I thought JVR actually had a good year. I'm not I'm not I'm not you know he's not on the unprotected list because I think that uh, he has no value or that he or that he had a bad year and you just want to get rid of him. It's just just a question of seven million on the cap. You know, and and two years left, and so you know, if you if he is taken, that does create some flexibility to to fill some other needs. Where, you know, I mean, he'll if he's healthy, he'll get you 25, 30 goals a year, but he won't get you forty. You know, yeah. but it, it's uh, you know, so it's it's nothing against either player that I wouldn't protect them. It's just a question of, again, you have to you have to manage your cap, and you have to you know you have to be really strategic about who you who you protect and who you don't. You're only gonna lose one anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's one of those you go. Oh man, if we throw a sweetener, we could really 
you know, move this contract, but you're right. They have to get to the floor. That's the other yeah. thing people have to remember. You have to get to the salary cap floor and just picking up, you know, bottom six forwards is not going to do it. <laughs> you got to take no. some players with a little bit of they, term and a, a good amount of dollars to get there because you can't just take guys all on low salaries and expiring deals. It's no way to build. Yeah. And, and it was also attractive too, is that, if a player's cap hit is higher than his actual salary, mm -hmm. which is the case with JVR, um, yeah. you know that, that that's a that's attractive to, to a team too because it helps you get to the floor. Yet you're you know you're you're investing you know a million and a half, two million dollars less in you know, your actual payroll. So that's uh, that's something that uh, while GMs don't have that top of mind necessarily, the, the the assistant GMs who manage the cap will say, hey, you know, there's there's some benefit to that. Yeah, it's just a, a little thing in the in the plus column form. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to say this name. Guper Burrow uh, tweets in and says, Curious minds would like to know, does TK bounce back to a glimmer of what he's capable of or continue to slide? And this is a big question, Bill, yes. because he's a player who's your all-star of the year prior, 24 goals in two successive seasons and did 20, scored 24 goals uh, in that uh, year. He was the all-star in less games than the, the prior season. He was on about a 29-goal pace. Uh, but we've seen TK struggle now in the bubble uh, with the yep. original return to play. And then this season was healthy scratch at points, uh, but has not looked uh, consistently like the player they need him to be. Uh, first of all, does he bounce back? And what does he need to do to bounce back? Is it all preparation? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a big piece of it. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know which players specifically AV was talk, had in mind when he was talking about how players that went home to Canada didn't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I even think of that whole theory, truthfully, but I think they're, you know, but I think TK certainly has to play at a higher level with more consistency than he played this year. I mean, honestly, one of the ways with TK, you, you can tell if he's on top of his game, it's not just in the points column. It's how many times guys are going after him after the whistle, you know, when, when he's, uh, when he's around the net, just, just being a pain in the neck. Yeah. You know, I, I thought, I thought there were, a lot of games this year where you hardly knew TK was there, where he, he he's like, he got three shots on goal tonight because they were all from the perimeter. You know, when, when TK is taking, you know, particularly when he's shooting from above the dot and, and, and out above and outside the dot, he's not, he's not effective. He's not a pure sniper. Who's going to score goals that way. You know, um, now he's done, you know, he's a guy who will score off the rush for you. He'll score goals around the net. You know, the, the, dirty but good goals and he'll score some he'll score some pretty ones too you know he would you know from the slot whatever but he's not a guy who's going to score from distance a lot when when tk is not mixing it up and getting guys angry at him and you know all the rest of that he's not as effective um there was a stretch this year i thought okay he, he's just about back where he needed to be and then there was a little drop off again yeah. the, the flyers the flyers need the players that they saw in the regular season is he capable of it Certainly is capable of it. He's still young, no major injuries, nothing, nothing of concerns along those lines, you know, uh, has a strong summer. I know, you know, I know stuff going on in his personal life, you know, just got engaged and whatnot. But, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, is he capable of bouncing back 100%? Can I say for certain he's going to? I can't. Do I, do I expect a better year from him? Yes. Yeah, they need it. And I'm sure that it was – discussed in in depth in that exit inter, exit meeting with the coaching yeah. staff and gm without question uh, for a lot of the guys um one last one here bill bill and it comes from bill last question for ask bill 
Bill Leonard tweets in. He says, guys, after watching the first round of the playoffs so far, have you seen any additional glaring needs of what Chuck Fletcher will need to do to make them a playoff team next year and a team that can play playoff hockey in advance? Thanks, Jason and Bill. And we, we talked about kind of right off the hop that playoff hockey is different. And, you know, the year prior, you had a guy in Pitlick that could grind you out. You had guys that they acquired and Nate Thompson and Derek Grant to give you a little bit of that as well. Uh, but to, to be a successful playoff team, first got to get into the playoffs. And then number one. And then number two, you have to be built a little bit differently. We saw with Tampa a couple of years ago, they got knocked out in the first round by Columbus. They went out, they averaged, got guys like Pat Maroon and uh, Barkley Gaudreau and, you know, guys like that to give them a little grit. And, and next year they come out and they win the cup. So have you seen anything in these playoffs that, to make you go, okay, this is another area that uh, Chuck needs to make sure he checks uh, this offseason to, to have some success? Well, I, w- I would like them to be able to add a player who who brings some of the same elements that Pitlick brought, where you have a guy who's good size, but also a, a plus skater going north-south, wins a lot of battles. Um, you know, he hits, but he also stays out of the penalty box. You know, even, even if that kind of player gets you eight goals, ten goals in a year, he definitely adds to your to your mix, of, you know, in the lower part of a, a, a top nine, right? Um, I'm hoping... I'm hoping that a full healthy year out of uh, Wade Allison, who can also put the puck in the net, but but bring some grit. He brings you know brings some uh, some plus skating ability, even though he does. <laughs> he's uh, he's shall we say uh, he put challenge in terms of staying on his feet. He t- tends to fall down a lot, but yeah. you know, didn't didn't hurt Scott Hartnell any. But uh, you know I, I think that uh, you know I, I getting some of, getting some of that element into the lineup, some of that energy, some of the physicality. You know, I, I think I think that would help. Uh, you know, the other piece of it too is it, it's just that uh, you know I, I think that it's, it's something that I saw before too. You know, a, a guy who brings that steadying presence that Niskanen brought, where you know it just it's not even what he says; it's just how he carries himself. You know, this was a team. You look at how many times this year the Flyers gave up a goal and then gave up another one within yeah. two minutes. And that's not, that's not just X's and O's. That's how you, that's how you respond to adversity. Is there, you know, because things get chaotic guys, you see heads drop on the bench, those kind of things, just a guy who, who helps. Okay. All right. We're okay. You know, and again, it's not, it's not what you say. It's just, in, just in what you project. Yeah. I, the Flyers don't have, Flyers don't really have that right now. They, they, that's one of the biggest things they're missing with Niskanen in this year. And they, they get, they get a little bit of that from, you know, from a guy like Justin Braun, who's ideally in the lower end of the blue line, but really a guy who plays on the upper end of the rotation, uh, they, they they could use that as well. And that's something you see. That's something you see for really a, a lot of the teams that have had success in these playoffs and in past playoffs too. That you you might drop a game that you feel is winnable. You might have adversity in game. How do you bounce back from it? The Flyers did not do that well at all this year. Yeah. And if you look at the teams that are having success. Those are teams that bounce back and roll with the punches. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I've referred to it this way. When you need a guy to go out there and give you a shift where nothing happens, yeah, positive or negative, you need that. Yeah. At points in the game when another team is about to really grab momentum, you need a guy to go out there and just have a shift that's quiet. It, it's, yeah. you know, a 60-second shift where there's no threat in your zone. It doesn't need to be a threat in the offensive zone. You don't need to be offensive. You just no. need to calm the game down. And this so, did that so well. Some, something as simple as 
shipping a puck out rather than having it intercepted at the point. Yep. You know, so that the other team has to go back and regroup and they, they don't get any momentum out of it. Yeah. Right. Just, 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 the, just like you said, just those kind of quiet shifts that are actually really important in terms of establishing equilibrium within a game. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, the Flyers didn't have it. When, when things would go bad, everything would go, you know, yeah. and uh, just, you know, just, just those guys who do a lot of the little things right. It's definitely needed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill, this was another successful segment of Ask Billy. Great stuff as always. Appreciate the time. Uh, That's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. Everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on next episode of Flyers Daily.